This is the launch station, the only place you need to look for all things onboarding, implementation, and customer success. Tune in for insights from industry experts every week. Hello everyone, welcome to the launch station. Today's episode is all about cracking the enterprise code. So what does it take for your implementation and onboarding to be enterprise ready? Our guest for the day is Vishal Rana. Vishal has a pretty diverse and interesting career spanning close to two decades, and he's been part of the enterprise software world since 2012, leading client services teams, professional services, and customer success teams at companies like Medallia and Segment. From early 2017, he was VP customer success at Segment, and then went on to own the product roadmap and operations for Segment's enterprise business. He currently heads customer success for Snapdocs. Welcome to the show, Vishal. Thanks. Excited to be here. So let's start with the fun question. Vishal, if you had an unlimited budget, what would you spend it on? It's probably not as exciting as most people think. Uh, I'd say when I think about where I would put unlimited budget, it's where it's where most companies I think are underinvested. Uh, it's the operations team. So there's a lot of functions that you need that create really long-term benefit for your customer service org or customer success org. And it makes everybody happier when these functions are high quality. And so th these are things like the documentation team, measurement, operations, BI, your, your sort of uh, planning systems. Um, it's, it's really tough to make the clear ROI case when the trade-off is against like adding more CSMs or implementation folks where you just sort of attach them to revenue. Um, but I think that these teammates really become the kind of turbocharger for your scale. Uh, if you have these processes, uh, really high quality and not something that your managers are doing, you know, kind of on nights and weekends with Google Sheets. Um, you, you really get a lot of benefit. And I've seen that uh, really at Medallia, at Segment, and I'm starting to see it again at Snapdocs. Nice. I guess it's great that you got to invest early into ops. Many companies don't. And I guess they are caught by surprise with growth and scale. And then they just have to keep throwing more people at the problem. Talking about getting caught by surprise, one of the things we've seen is a lot of startups that initially start selling to SMB and you know other startups, when they try to go upmarket and sell to enterprise, they figure out that they're taking on a completely different beast. You have been on both sides, right? You have seen some of that journey at Segment. So how are the two different? These two customer types are almost like selling, uh, you, know, you need to build a different company um, to, to sell to these different markets and to serve these different markets. Medallia started in enterprise and then moved towards uh, smaller companies. Segment started at smaller companies and moved towards enterprise. Both are hard to do because the DNA of your company is different. Um, if you start, you know, just thinking about startups um, and smaller companies, they often just want consumer grade tech, right? Like they are in a rush. They want to do everything on their own. Um, and typically on the cheap, um, they don't have huge funding or anything like that. Um, they want to sign up without talking to a salesperson, implement off the shelf, reading docs in the middle of the night when no one's available uh, to support them. Um, and, and their idea of like premium support is, you know, give me live chat. They work in spurts of effort, right? Like a startup, if you think about like, you know, somebody decides they want to solve this problem, they try and do it in a day or two. And if they can't get it done, they just move on, hack something, replace it. Um, and so, you know, for segment, for example, they're often thinking about implementation in terms of hours or days to get up and running. Um, and they don't want to pay much, right? So the unit economics means that at that scale, you've got to really use technology 
to make this customer segment work, uh, both to help them implement and for the ongoing service. You can't have a bunch of humans working on them um, just because the math doesn't work out. They aren't paying you enough to, to staff people. Um, and then, you know, when you think about enterprises, they're really the opposite. Uh, they have high expectations. They are generally more patient um, and they're willing to pay to, to go on this journey with you, but they want to be de-risked. Uh, they plan all of their purchases months in advance. They set budgets and they expect you to go with them every step of the way and tell them the roadmap of what's going to happen. Um, and they often staff whole teams to work alongside a software purchase. And if you don't do the same thing, they actually get kind of nervous. Uh, I've often had in some cases, you know, when, when uh, enterprise companies are buying and they talk to a customer success person, they're sort of asking like, okay, so how big is my team? Um, and they want to see three, four, five people getting geared up to work on site with them or um, to be dedicated to their account. And, you know, that's that's a rude awakening if you're used to uh, somebody, you know, totally self-serving if you came from um, from from selling to smaller companies. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, it can take quarters and, and sometimes even even more than a year to implement enterprise SaaS fully. And if you aren't ready for that, um, you know, you can, you can be really be caught by surprise by, you know, when revenue gets recognized when you get customers ramped, when you can ask them for case studies, that sort of stuff. Um, the professional services that you have to, to, to deploy, um, enterprises are willing to pay. Um, they'll him and haw over sort of negotiating how much they cost, but, but they know they need to pay to make this work. Um, and the funny thing is if you, if you don't charge them, they also, they start to get a little suspicious. They think that you're hiding the fees inside the software and other stuff like that. Um, but either way, I think, you know, you really need to think critically about when you're really ready to sell to both and which one of the two your company has the DNA to sell to first. Wow. So one of the things you mentioned is that enterprises are patient and that they know things. In fact, they expect that things will take time, but still we see issues and escalations with these large customer onboardings and go lives. So where do teams usually go wrong? Important to say uh, enterprises are both patient and impatient, right? Like what they, uh, they're patient in that their expectations for how long something takes in total is, is somewhat reasonable, but what is, what, what you get in, in return is they really want to see progress and they want to see that you're guiding them. And so a big part of this is, uh, change management, right? So a big part where, where people go wrong is they don't know that the customer is buying your expertise on how to change their business um, and use the software as much as they're buying the software themselves itself. Um, and so they want you to roll it out, train their teams, give advice on how to set it up um, and teach them how to get the most out of it. And you know, this is really where customer success as a discipline was born. Um, you know, you really had to teach someone how, how to figure out and define you know, all the stages and forecasting and all this sort of stuff and kind of the original customer success uh, software company like Salesforce, you couldn't just give them a login to Salesforce and expect them to understand what to do. And, you know, there's a whole industry of people who, who all they do is deploy and train people on Salesforce. And, you know, if you think about the, the sort of uh, difference in type of teammate and the type of work and the type of preparedness you have to have when you show up, uh, it's really radically different. Um, you really have to do manage uh, the people that you're deploying with, not just the technical integration. Um, another thing I've seen, you know, the second problem I'd say is 
not paying as much attention to how resources are allocated. So going to the technical component, right? You, despite you know, making sure you have to have a focus on the change management, you also have to make sure you're paying attention to how the company allocates their engineering resources. So if you need to do an integration, you need to know, you know when the sprints are, when they plan the sprints, when they decide what's gonna be in, uh, what information they need in order to get approved for a sprint, all that sort of stuff, because you're now part of that customer's development roadmap. And um, I've seen many implementations go bad because somebody missed a date that they needed to hit um, you know, to uh, get into a sprint, to get an integration done on time and their launches get all you know, set off track. The third, uh, you know, I think, and, and this is one that uh, lots of customer success teams kind of lean on is they feel like sales is over committing, right? And um, I, I have a really, you know, I think I've, I've got a slightly different perspective on this. I, I think it's, you're growing super fast. The tension really exists between um, what product has a vision for what they think companies should be doing, uh, sales, is hearing from what the customers think they should, that you should be building for them um, to fit whatever convoluted system that company they're selling to has created for themselves. Um, and when it's a really big ticket contract, it's really alluring uh, for sales to commit the company to more than it can handle. Uh, this could be like levels of service, features, ability to manage volumes, but this is really just a part of a fast growing company. And you, you do need to be really careful and have everyone at the table before you commit the whole company to chasing a marquee logo. Um, but I do think that, you know, these, these sort of large commitments are your responsibility too, as the customer success team to really help sales be educated on what works, what doesn't, what they should commit, what are stretches that the, the team can handle. And so I think it's, it's unfair just to kind of drop it on sales um, as like they're, they're running around rogue. I think you can also take a role in educating, like what are the types of stretches that we, we are willing to take in order to win? Because in the end, you know, growing fast is the thing everybody in the company wants to do. Um, and just sort of putting a wall up and saying, sales, stop doing that isn't super helpful. I always like environments where you have this happy tension between sales and product, product and engineering, marketing and product and so on. I guess it comes down to what you can do to get the best out of each other in some ways. But talking about sales overcommitting, it reminds me of something else we've chatted about in the past. You brought up this whole different approach to selling based on a maturity model and showing a customer where they are and where their next steps should be. Can you share more about that for our audience? I, I like these quite a bit, uh, the maturity models, because I think it helps. Um, so, so what a maturity model is, is when you think about your product's adoption and how a customer gets to ultimate value um, that you've, you've sort of designed for them to get, using the, the software and services. Um, what's this, what are the stages that the company goes through? And, and when you sell to different companies, um, early on, you'll probably sell to companies that already know what the problem is, kind of understand how to use it. When they buy the technology, uh, it's really a tool for them. Uh, and they're sort of, you know, if you had a maturity curve of like five stages, they're probably like a stage three. They sort of already have the underpinnings and they want to go up a couple levels and they use your technology for that. As you go on, more companies you're gonna to sell to are gonna be like a stage one or stage two. They have aspirations to do some of the things that this stage three company that you sold to first um, is doing, but they don't know how to get there. And what sales will naturally do is sell the sort of stage five outcome of like, you know, know everything all the time, everywhere, you know, blazing fast speeds, like all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and what you need to do as the CS team is really educate 
the both the customers and the sales team about, hey, companies exist at different levels of maturity. We can help them ultimately get to stage five, but we have to pace the deployment of our technology and services so that the company itself can adopt and use that work, right? And so how does that fit with, with a company like, uh, if, I, if I use Segment as a good example, um, you know, uh, an example of what people are trying to do is, you know, real-time personalization. And that's like, I know everything the customer did in any of my properties and I can act on it at any time, right? Maybe even on the site, like change, change what the site looks like. That's, that's a pretty advanced capability. You need all of this technology working in concert in real time in order to do it. And if you are today working in like a batch file upload email system, like you have many, many steps to go. And sales will sell the like real-time personalization in the moment because uh, that's what they're supposed to do. That's the aspiration. That's the dream. And when you show up with your implementation team, you're like, okay, guys, like who, which, which system generates the file? At what time does that file get generated and where does it go? Like, okay, well, we're going to switch this to an API that goes to you know, some front door and does a bunch of stuff. And, and what you really want to do is place a roadmap in front of the customer that shows them, okay, stage one to two, we're going to build these capabilities. We're going to clean up the data. We're going to get the data moving in API versus files. Stage two to three, we're going to do the next thing and deploy additional software and use more modern email tools. And then stage, you know, next to next, there's, there's a bunch of other capabilities. And ultimately, we'll get to that real-time personalization. Um, but like I said, for enterprise companies in particular, they want to see that you have this roadmap laid out and you know how to get them from where they are to where they want to go. Um, what they're more upset about is nobody tells them that it's going to take them a year to get to stage five. And, you know, you just sort of start throwing different features and product capabilities at them. Be like, Hey, do you want to implement X? Hey, do you want to implement this? Like, you know, that's, that's not super helpful. I think giving them guidance, like being their guide is really important. You know, that makes a lot of sense. And I've also seen the equivalent of that in the customer support world where, you know, you'd have customers who are tracking issues on spreadsheets today and they want to move to omni-channel load balance routing and bots and all of that in one shot. So your example reminded me of that. And this maturity model is something I'm totally going to try out for Rocket Lane. I think it's going to be super helpful. Vishal, can you also walk us through what a typical implementation process looks like for the enterprise? Yeah, I, I started to talk about this a little bit, but, you know, I'd say the fun fact is like, in most cases, the writing code and implementing itself, what most people think of as implementing is, is really just like 20% of the work. Um, much, much, much more effort goes into planning, getting permissions, deciding on when to implement, um, how to get people kind of to agree to the structure and process we're going to go through. Um, but generally speaking, we'll, we'll do a kickoff to go through uh, what a customer's purchase, set expectations on how the process will unfold, um, introduce the key people on our side um, and the government's model, right? And that's, that's really like who's going to do what, who they should email if they have a particular issue, um, sort of set responsibilities, um, how often executive sponsors are meant to engage and what sort of updates will happen um, and, and really ask them to show up with the same thing from their side. Um, and then we stand, you know, we spend a bunch of time planning, um, understanding their calendar, uh, when people are going to be around, what dates we need to hit for different sprints, um, if we're going to deploy the technology at like a, a kickoff or a training, um, like when is when are those events so that we can solve back from those uh, those moments in our plan. Um, 
and and we really just want to make sure that we have enough time um, to get the right people when we need them. Uh, usually after that, we'll, we'll break into a smaller group, right? So you go wide in the beginning in the kickoff to sort of like let everybody know this is what's going to happen. And then you narrow the group into a smaller team that's actually going to get into the details, build the specs of what we're going to deploy and get the requirements from all the different people. Um, you know, we probably have some of this stuff from the sales process. Um, and, and what we really need to do is take, you know, usually what like the economic buyer or, or someone a bit more senior thought they needed and take it to somebody who's actually going to like plug the wires in and say, okay, this will actually work and make sure that it will, will, will actually, um, you know, sort of do what they expected. Um, you know, and when we typically think about the, the separation, you know, the customer success manager kind of owns like the outcome, the, the customer bought and the implementation team is really making sure that it's feasible, right. And the CSM and an implementation person are working together to say, okay, here's the technical requirement, the technical reality, the CSM is going to, okay, will that actually solve the problem we promised them, right? Will it create the value that we thought it should? Um, you know, I'd say, you know, we, we then have sort of the typical, typical stuff after that um, is working with the consumer tech team and then, um, you know, testing, training and go live, you know, we'll figure out what process works for that customer. Um, but I think all in all, the important thing is that you spend almost half the time writing specs and sharing it with everybody in the, in the company to make sure they all agree and align. Um, and, you know, going back to this thing about advice giving, you know, a lot of, oftentimes like this process, this, this getting everybody on the same page um, is the make or break part of deploying the technology. If you've got one team that disagrees with how you've implemented, they won't use it. And if they don't use it, then you've lost a bunch of the value that you promised. And so you really need to be careful about this and make sure everybody gets bought in. And, you know, both Medallia and Segments cases, companies hired us because we were the experts in the field. And so we were able to oftentimes say things that our champions that we sold to were saying all along, but we get to say it as the expert. And so then we could convince their teammates who maybe weren't listening to them before to actually play along. Um, and so we can really facilitate a type of agreement and, and coordination that the company isn't able to do on its own. Um, now, the software is obviously super important because it, it makes all of that stuff easy. Um, but I think as the, the success team and the implementation team, like you have a really important responsibility in the change management. Makes a lot of sense. And, you know, one part of the problem, as you said, is aligning the teams and stakeholders at the customer side. But I guess there's also different people playing different roles on your side, right? As a vendor working with a large customer, you're going to have your customer success folks, engineers, solution architects, professional services team members, project managers. So what should this whole post-sale onboarding team look like and who owns what? I started to talk a little bit about this, but the, you know, the way I think about it is the CSM um, is really the owner and the guide to make sure the customer gets where they're going. Um, they should be kind of the, the expert in many ways, like the foremost expert inside your company about the customer's business. And so they should be the bridge between what the customer, how the customer wants to use the system, how it implements inside their business, um, and what their business is, how they make money, what matters to them, what their key goals are. Uh, implementations needs to be, uh, which is another, which I'd say, so the teams are customer success implementations. Usually you also have a support function, um, whether it's inside the org um, is, or not is, is sort of separate, but 
um, you, you usually have these three functions that, that are customer facing. So the CSM is really the business oriented focused person. They understand the customer's business better than anybody inside that chain of people. The support team at the other extreme is meant to be the experts on your software, right? They are the foremost expert on what the intended behavior is. They have the tightest connection to the product and engineering teams. Um, they really know whether or not the software is doing what it's supposed to and how it should operate. Um, they probably, all of them have memorized your docs and remember docs that you've even deleted already, right? Um, these are really a core part of the team. And then you know, your implementation team sits in between, right? They are, they're quite technical, but they're deployed in projects very specifically in customer environments. And so they end up being the experts of the specific deployment and the customer's technical environment, right? So how was this software configured for this customer? And if you sort of think about these three roles in that way, it gives you a lot of clarity of purpose, right? Like you sort of understand like support really shouldn't be expected to know like, why does this matter for the customer? What is the like business impact of it? They're like, look, I can debug whether this is doing what it's supposed to or not. CSM, it's your job to add the context of like why this matters and how it matters. And so if a ticket goes into support and it's got not being dealt with quickly, like it's the CSM's job to say, hey, this matters. It's causing this pain, you know, this much revenue is being lost, whatever, to drive the urgency inside that organization. That's how we've always set it up. Um, when we run into a problem where support is saying, hey, the technology is operating as it's supposed to, but the customer's expected behavior isn't occurring, then it's the implementation team who's like, oh, well, must be something about the customer's environment because everything on our side is working. And then they become the expert of debugging that, right? And that's how you, you sort of work together to make sure that you understand, you know, is the deployment that we've made going to cause the customer's outcome? When you layer this on with the maturity model, right? One, one example I've given to the team often is the CSM is, is sort of like the, the Sherpa of the, of the process, right? Like the customers on the journey, they're trying to move up the maturity curve, which we often you know, describe in pyramids or mountains and things like that. Um, and the CSM is the one who's pointing things out and saying like, look, you wanna go this way, not that way. Like based on what I know about you and what your business is trying to do and what I know about the technology, which is kind of the mountain or the curve, you know, the, the maturity curve you're trying to climb. Um, let's go on this path, right? Like this requires less change management and change management is painful for you. Or this one requires a really complex technical implementation. And I know your IT team is strapped. The CSM should be helping a customer make choices like that when they're confronted with the ways to build their maturity and move and get more success with your product. Um, and so they're really a partner with the customer throughout the journey and the implementation and support teams show up to help unstick at individual points when the customer needs it. Interesting. And I think one of the things you also touched upon in a previous discussion was, you know, how do you prevent finger pointing between these different teams? And how do you start to think of goals for these teams? Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think what I've run into is, is really when you, this starts with hiring and, and like hiring people who have a tremendous amount of ownership and, and want, to, want to solve customer problems, have high customer empathy. And then I think what, what's funny is I see sometimes people, people do this hiring right. And then what they do is they give each team a laundry list of tasks to do. And they say, okay, these are the things you're supposed to do. And these are the things you're not supposed to do. And here's, you know, you sort of like build out a racy matrix. And at some point when a company gets big enough, some of that stuff is really helpful. 
Um, but I'd say for most organizations, as they're growing and scaling really fast, what you actually want to do is tell people what problem they solve. Right? And I think I'm a little bit different in this than, than, than my contemporaries and customer success. Um, I tend to anchor on, and, and I talked a little about these problems, right? Like what expertise should you have? What problem do you solve? You know, the CSM is responsible for making sure the customer knows what value they got from the product. Um, implementation team is getting the customer to value as quickly as possible, right? Like prove the thing works, get it, get it to work. Um, and the support team is really focused on making sure unexpected situations don't happen. And if they do, um, reducing the impact of them, right? Debugging the problem and getting it fixed. And when you define the team's purposes in terms of a problem, the spheres start to overlap a little bit, um, but they have a clarity of why they are involved and what they're trying to do versus like your task is X. And if you haven't imagined like some task, which is, you know, you've got a team with A, B, and C, like if you have a task, which is two, right? Like that doesn't fit on that scale. Now all of a sudden everybody's standing around like arms folded be like, I'm not supposed to do that. It's not on my list. And like, that's so silly, right? Like the customer is in pain, like somebody should figure it out. And then, and then it becomes a question of like, is it the customer's not understanding value or we don't understand the urgency, CSM. Uh, our product is misbehaving. It's clearly not doing something we expect, support. Or there's something about the interaction of how we deployed this particular product implementation, right? And, you know, obviously it's not gonna work 100% of the time, but I find that it, it helps the teams collaborate and feel ownership of their own expertise, like what they are supposed to be good at. Um, and it leads to fewer chances where something happens and, you know, it's, there's finger pointing on like, hey, you didn't do the thing you were supposed to, or like you dropped that ball or, you know, an email sitting in an inbox for too long or something like that. That makes a lot of sense. And I really love how you framed that. Now, knowing all that you know from your journey, what would your advice be to a first time CS leader? Pick companies that you, you, you that do something that you really care about. Um, if you're just going through the process because someone else told you, um, it's pretty obvious. Um, and it's hard to get other people excited to follow you. And, you know, customer success teams are, I would say, pretty emotional uh, groups. Uh, you know, they have a tough job, right? Like customers, customers don't often call just to say, hey, I'm having a great time with your software. Um, and, you know, I think making sure that the team understands what impact they're having, what the software is actually trying to accomplish, how it's supposed to impact uh, either the company or the industry or the end users in a really positive way. Um, and you should care about that problem because if you don't, people can tell and it's hard to fake it. Um, and when things get hard, people will sort of be like, ah, oh, like this doesn't make sense. They start doing some, you know, financial calculation or career calculation on like, is this helping me? And they lose sight of the whole purpose of why they're there. Um, I think that, you know, similar to that, it's, it's really like spend your, spend your energy on building up the team's confidence. Um, you know, I think a lot of what I said is that the customers are really looking for advice from you. And, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because they often don't feel like the expert, right? Like in enterprise, let's face it, you know, oftentimes the folks in customer success teams are maybe in their twenties or early thirties and their customers have had whole careers longer than they've been alive. Um, and, and they're like, who am I to tell this person like how to do this or what they should be, what they should be trying to do. And, and the way to really think about it, uh, I, I often tell teams this to flip it on its head and say, hey, look, this person has worked at one, maybe two, maybe three companies in their entire uh, 
in their entire career. And none of them, in none of those cases, have they probably implemented your software. And you have probably implemented your software 20 times, 100 times maybe. And if you're a CSM, you're talking to 10 customers, 20, 30, 50 customers about how they're using the software. And you are the expert on this specific thing, right? Like you don't know their whole business, but you do know how your software interacts with that business and the change you're trying to create. And through working with the rest of the organization, whether it's sales or product or marketing, like you understand what the software is supposed to do. And so you are the expert in that and you're a really valuable resource to the customer because they don't have this context that you are, that, that you do have. Um, and, and remember that they're paying for your opinion as much as the software, right? I always say that to my teams, like, you know, don't, don't just sit back and let the customer tell you what they want to do. Like you should be guiding them. That's a great answer, Vishal. I think if we combine the two nuggets you shared, perhaps a new CS leader could work hands-on with their team on a maturity model for their space. And through that exercise, build more affinity and understanding for the space, the value delivered and for their customer asks. Lots of takeaways and lots of things to think about, Vishal. Thank you. We're going to come back to more questions, but right now it's time for our quick, fun, rapid fire section. So here goes. What's one movie that inspired you? You know, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for military movies, but, uh, you know, not for, not for reasons that people would think, uh, I was, I was in the reserves here in the United States, um, in the air force. Um, but you know, I think, I think these movies really are a study of how like teams in really stressful situations stick together and figure stuff out. Um, and, and oftentimes it's, you know, these folks are really focused on who they're with uh, taking care of each other. And, and it really resonates, I, I don't know, as like a CS person, because a lot of the time, like you're doing this because you love the people you're working with, um, as much as it is about serving the customer and the mission. Um, and you're, you're really focused on like the team working together to solve the common goal. And, you know, people have like, like specialist responsibilities. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, maybe it's a little cheesy, uh, but, I, I, I find that I, I, I'm really a sucker for that stuff. Um, you know, seeing everybody coordinated and like do everybody do their one job and all of a sudden they like create this awesome outcome that they were trying to accomplish. Yeah, I guess the vibes around the good rapo and the teams sort of rallying together is inspiring and gives us hope. Do you have a book that you'd recommend to other CS leaders? Yeah, I um. I have a whole batch of books that I often share uh, with teams. And I'd say I, I owe a lot of this and a lot of the way I think about um, customer success and leading teams to, to Medallia. And um, it was a really great reading culture that I, I credit to Amy Pressman, um, who was the co-founder and president there. And um, yeah, she, she made me want to join the company from the first moment I met her. Um, but, but the books that, that came through, um, you know, that I, I really resonated with was Start With Why by Simon Sinek, um, which really helps you understand like how you should change your communication style to get people motivated. Um, and then Drive by Daniel Pink, um, which I think, you know, resonates really about the psyche of, of teams and what motivates people. Um, tribal leadership um, is, is another one that just to help you understand like, you know, in some ways there's a maturity model of teams inside there. Um, they, which is which is sort of an interesting um, uh, thought experiment to go through as you're building and, and growing teams. Um, another one uh, is crucial conversations, um, and this one I think really helps about um, 
how to how to avoid finger pointing at its very core. It's like how do you decompose like facts from stories and and communicate in a way that de-escalates um, conversations. Um, and probably the, the the most important one uh, and and was a, a core you know part of the canon of Medallia I'd say is growth mindset by Carol Dweck. Um, and I think I think this one's really important because uh, I think it connects a lot to the CS ethos, which is you can learn things, you can get better. No one is naturally good or bad at anything. It's just a matter of how much effort you put forth. Um, and I think that, that that sort of innate ability to get better is what CS teams really thrive on. And um, you know, if you think about like all the advice giving type of stuff that we're talking about, and you are the expert, um, this really, really connects with that. Those are some great books, Vishal. I've read some of them. I've heard good things about the others and I hopefully should read them soon. Here's our next question. What comes to your mind when I say 2020? <laughs> uh, like, you know, it, it was a rough year. I, I think everywhere, I think in particular in the US and in California. And, you know, I think it just, yeah, lots of stuff that uh, uh, makes you think about what's important. That's understandable, Vishal. So here's our last question for the section. What's a hobby you picked up during the lockdown? I think the thing that we probably did the most of that that we didn't do before was baking. Um, I I grew up in an Indian household, and I, most of my cooking uh, was from watching my mom cook and all improvisation. Right, you just like open up the spice drawer and start like putting stuff in, and you're not measuring anything. And and baking is totally different, right? Like you can't just make stuff up with baking. Like there's like really important chemistry happening. Um, and it really requires more precision and technique than I'm used to, to deploying. Um, we've been making all sorts of stuff. Um, we started to make croissants and, and gotten pretty good at making croissants here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very hard muscle to stretch. Uh, I've always been kind of, uh, figure out as you go, taste a little bit, like add a little more of this and that. So. So it looks like you're applying your growth mindset to your baking as well. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. So now we're down to our last section, which is questions from our audience on Twitter and from our Rocket Lane Slack community. Here's the first question. Renewals, whose responsibility is it? Sales or CS? It's just kind of the age-old question, right? And in, in, I have owned teams uh, or led teams that own renewals. I've led teams where we created an account management function and then moved it to sales. Um, I'd say... You know, you can build customer success teams that are designed to own renewals. And those tend to be more commercial customer success teams. You'll have to find another place to put really core advice giving functions if you do, because customers tend to be a little skittish about having their money conversations and their strategy conversations together. Um, I think, uh, you know, the reality is that everybody owns it, right? Like, and, and that's, you know, maybe a non-response, but sales owns it from setting expectations, product owns it from, you know, sort of making sure that we deliver on promises and CS owns it from honestly, just taking all of those pieces together and packaging them up to the customer in a compelling way. And so, you know, I think in the end, everybody does own it. And there's some tactical component about who actually executes the paper. Um, that's, that's important for your company to figure out. Right. And I think if, um, if you have the type of customer success business where it's, um, you know, I'd say more software focused, uh, you know, sort of a large sales cycle, usually slower sales cycles, bigger renewals, um, you sort of 
uh, sort of fixed fee kind of things. Um, I think those generally tend to be more well-suited towards a sales-oriented renewal motion because it is really a, a separate and distinct conversation from the activities that are being done. Um, what, what I'm starting to see a lot more is more consumption-based um, software contracts, which are, you know, you sort of like you sell in at some price, you know, or so some set of prices and really your fees are based off of just consumption. And, um, you know, I, I can see customer success actually taking those on much more successfully because um, the terms are really well laid out. And it's really a matter of like, did you use the thing or not? If you did, the renewal conversation is relatively simple. And if you didn't, largely speaking, the reason you're not renewing is because you didn't implement, in which case it's the CS, the CS focus problem anyway. Um, and so, you know, I, if, if I gave any guidance, it'd be kind of in that way is think about, think about the motion of renewal. Um, is it really... Uh, a sort of financial event, or is it a implementation kind of event? Um, and that will guide you towards which team should really own it. Um, the one caveat being, if you do put renewals inside CS, just know that you're, you're going to find a harder time kind of being the advice giver if the same person is also focused on, on dollars. Great answer, Vishal. Here's the next question. Other than product adoption, what are the conversation topics and metrics you typically discuss during a business review with a customer? like talking to them about where they are on the maturity model. Um, but honestly, the, the headline often is just that uh, the business metrics, right? So you got these business metrics from sales. You understood like, hey, these were the three or four things you were trying to accomplish. Here were the metrics we were trying to move. And, uh, you know, the CSM should really be spending energy and time and stressing out over like, how are we moving those things? Um, and, and you can use the maturity model as a way to, to guideposts like here are the technical milestones and capability milestones we're making um, so that you know we know we're on track to hit those um, those business outcomes but that's the core of it right like that's that's what the customer bought they bought outcomes not um, not technical implementation right like they 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 believe that doing the technical implementation is going to lead to those outcomes but the business review is really about proving to them that they got that I think that most companies struggle with this a lot. And a lot of it has to do with getting the partnership from the customer to actually tell them the business metrics and like get them to share when something goes well or not. And this goes back to the renewal conversation a little bit, which is like, hey, if the person's going to ask for money, is the person you're telling, oh, yeah, we increased revenue by 15% because of your software. Or like, I don't want to tell them that they're going to charge me more money. Um, and so this is where you get caught, right? Like you've got to think through the strategy of like, which conversations do you want which person to have? Um, and like the customer is funny, right? Like they should know that all of you are going to talk, but somehow there's something psychological, I think about, you know, telling that same person, um, who's going to ask you for money, how well the software is doing, um, customers get funny that way. Um, I think the way I've gotten around that is, you know, you never have problems with the most, the most successful customers. They're happy. Right. And the key there often is. Uh, building a really important champion, like someone who really cares about your success and has hitched their own personal success, like their brand inside the company to your software. And they usually become your access point to a lot of these metrics. And so I'd, I'd really, you know, another piece of advice here, I suppose, is like focus in on building one of these champions who does have power and influence and can get, can get these metrics for you. Yeah, I've seen a lot of cases where startups go and sell implement and then they figure out that they haven't baselined those metrics to start with and 
they don't really know how much value they're adding when they go in and say hey can you give me a case study sometimes no one's even measured this right so maybe even the customer wasn't measuring those specific metrics in the past and now they have only your new numbers that show up and they don't really know what improvement you've made right here's the next question from our audience what were the top 3 automation techniques that you've used in customer success that resulted in significant improvements to csat or reduction in turnaround times the thing that we did i'd say in in segment that worked really well was was understanding um sort of a, a more micro level how how customers implemented the software and and really making sure that we understood the sort of first moment where they um where they got the first value uh where they were where we proved to them that it worked and if a customer got stuck between you know buying the software and getting to the point where they saw you know data flow from one end to the other um in in segments case or getting their first survey response in medallia's case if they never saw those things they, you were going to get nowhere and so we made sure we built campaigns that would nudge customers along to make sure they got to that point and then once they got to that point knowing that the next thing that they needed to do was replicate that in three places or uh, implement two or three more uh, applications inside uh, the segment uh, console and you know sort of knowing that what's likely to happen is a customer is going to implement an analytics software then advertising software then email software and kind of figuring out what that sequence is and basically building expected time elements right so you think about like okay we expect from purchase to first light is you know 10 days they should be able to like see see a piece of data in 10 days if they don't then send them an email if you get from first light you and one tool right um we want to see three tools within 60 days i'm making these up but they're roughly right um then uh then send them an email and tell them hey did you know that companies like you <laughs> implement this this or that right and give them some choices and kind of nudge them along and so you know i think the automation techniques that work best are when you when you look at your customer base you understand you know you sort of build these look alike audiences and you say okay well i expect a customer to do this this is the happy path and just keep nudging them to to move along um you know the the key here is not to get annoying not to send them an email every day it's you know it's a time based and you know um have the content that you send have value in it of itself right like educate the 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 customer don't just say hey we, looks like you haven't finished this right like the next step is x like tell them why that matters right um you know a lot more than you think you do and you should share it because it it continues to position you as somebody that they should work with Those are probably the, the the big things. Um, I think the other is 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 related to that, which is just building out your customer health signals, right? So, what are the activities that customers do? Let's say after they're implemented, that that often um, foretell, right? Like forecast that something bad's going to happen. You know, whether it's uh, a champion leaves or a major usage drop. I mean, these things are usually pretty obvious within your business. Um, and figuring out some way to automate uh, an alert whether that's to the CSM team or some action that that you want to take to to debug what's happened um usually those are a bit more false positives right so you want to be careful about totally automating them you probably want to put a human in the loop um to to sort of do some discovery before you reach out um but yeah those are probably the three things um, figure out the first light figure out um 
you know, when they get stuck in mid implementation, add value and, and get them to go to the next step. And then the third is build some, some defensive measurements, right? And, and usually those need a human in the loop, I would say. Awesome. Thank you so much for your very useful and thoughtful answers, Vishal. I enjoyed listening to your answers and I already feel a lot smarter about working with enterprises post this session. So once again, thanks for joining us on the show. Awesome. Thanks.